Welcome to the Only One Shot Golf Podcast. My name is Jim Gallagher, Jr. I'll be your host today. We appreciate you uh, listening to our podcast. A special thanks to Steve Azar for allowing us to use his music. You can find Steve at steveazar.com. Don't forget to subscribe to wherever you get your podcast. And we appreciate uh, everybody that's been listening over the last couple of years. It's been a lot of fun to do these podcasts. And don't forget to get your copy of Only One Shot. That's by BJ Trollio, available on Amazon. Today, I have one of the best college golf coaches on the men's division from the University of Texas. It's John Fields. John played his college golf at New Mexico with our golf channel analyst, Kurt Byram. They had some really wonderful teams there. He played a little bit professionally, and then he took over the job at New Mexico as the head coach there for 10 years before Texas came calling, and he has had a very successful program winning the national championship in 2011 and 12. He's coached several tour players, according of course, uh, Jordan Spieth, one of them, and several others we have on uh, Cody Gribble, and he's got this year one of the best teams in college golf, uh, expecting to make a run at the NCAA championship. So let's get John on the phone and uh, see what he has to say and get to know him a little bit better. All right, it's my pleasure to welcome John Fields, the University of Texas men's golf coach, to the podcast. John, thanks for spending some time with me today. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to be with you this morning and excited about the opportunity that college golf has this year. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Speaking of college golf, y'all just come off a big win last week, the Big 12 match play. Uh, that had to be pretty satisfying. What that mean to the team to get off to that? You know, you've got a lot of expectations on you this season. What that mean to the team uh, to win that big event against some of the best in the Big 12? Well, typically in the fall, um, we start off a little bit slow. And I think partially the reason is, Jim, our guys are highly competitive in the summertime. Mm. They play six, seven, eight tournaments like the Porter Cup, the Northeast Amateur, Western Amateur, Transmiss, and then the United States Amateur. And every once in a while, they'll also play in the Walker Cup or maybe even the World Amateur. And then we cruise on into the fall. And we might not have that same amount of energy you need to meet with teams that might have not played as well as they would have liked the year before, or they have the energy of just coming into a, a new season and excitement and all that stuff. So typically we, we tar- start off a little bit slow, but to end the fall season with that victory was outstanding for our guys. If you talk to Cole Hammer, Pearson, or Parker Cootie, they would tell you, or even Travis Vick or Mason Nome, that that was a big, big win for us going into the going into the off season. Uh, motivation to know that you're, you're a darn good team because the, the Big 12 has – uh, four top 10 teams in it right now and so when you do something like that it's it's a validation that you're on the right track absolutely i never thought about that coming in i figured well they're coming in their games are sharp but i never thought they do they play a big long summer schedule and i think it's a big adjustment for especially and you've got some older kids but some of the freshmen that come in playing that big summer all of a sudden now they got to adjust to going to school and you're gone for weeks in a row or four weeks out of the six weeks trying to keep up with school uh it can be a little overwhelming for these kids but what what do you tell a freshman when they come in and you know being prepared for that or even your guys are the veteran players to keep up with school having that long summer you you just mentioned they they start off a little slow how do you keep them motivated or get them re-motivated well I, i would say this too we had some different things happen this summer as well we had two guys play in the u.s open Mm. We had uh, Cole play in, in another PGA Tour event, plus the British Open. 
<clears throat> they got to get their feet back on the ground. You know, mm-hmm. you you know how it is being a PGA Tour player, uh, how you're treated on the PGA Tour versus how you're treated in college. And uh, there's a little bit of a pot of gold on the other side there, and it's a hard <laughs> to adjust back to college golf and, and the fun and the excitement of it. But these guys have managed to make those things happen. And, and uh, I would say that it, it depends on what kind of t- freshman you are. If you're one of the top players in the country coming in, well, then you've got a lot of enthusiasm and excitement and probably got a little chip on your shoulder, too, because you want to show everybody that you really have earned that mm-hmm. that type of uh, moniker. But but on the other hand, you might have a freshman that you're trying to build that you think is going to be a really fine player. And with the schedule that we play, that guy might get overwhelmed. And so... We talk to them differently. It's not a one-size-fits-all. It's a, it's a type of situation where if I'm recruiting Jim Gallagher and he's one of the absolute best uh, junior golfers in America, well, that guy's probably going to want to play number one for me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're going to want to play number one for me, and you can't wait. to You, you know what our schedule's going to be. You've already adjusted because you've probably learned how to travel almost by yourself, so you're ready to go. And on the other hand, you have the guy on the other end of the spectrum that doesn't have that kind of authority, and and therefore it might be a little bit tough adjustment. In yeah. the end, it's just exciting and fun for all of us because it's uh, golfers are different. Every guy is yeah. different. Every guy needs to be treated differently, and every guy needs to maximize his own potential. But it's up to the coach to kind of figure out where that guy starts and finishes. And you're molding young men at a prime time of their age they're away from home for the first time 18 to 22 years old i'm not saying they know everything but they think they do at least i thought i did uh i think that's the interesting part there but you're right it's it's a it's a challenge even when you get to the guys that get older too so uh but let's kind of get to know you a little bit better who got you started in this game and who was a big influence to you uh, early on well i grew up in in uh las cruces new mexico i grew up as a as a young person, I started playing golf when I was 11 years old okay. at New Mexico State University. And at the time, Brad Bryant, who you know yep. well probably, uh, was the best golfer in New Mexico. And he's still probably the number one or two best golfers ever to come out of New Mexico. Probably number two because Nota Begay from mm-hmm. Albuquerque has achieved success in one multiple times on the PGA Tour, but he was kind of the guide at the time. He was the guy that everybody wanted to be, and then I grew up at New Mexico State University golf course, literally. I was there every day from 11 years old on, so I was around college golfers and and, and a really successful environment. The reason I say that, in the 60s and 70s, University of Texas El Paso had just won a national championship in basketball. Sure did. Mm-hmm. New Mexico State played in the Final Four in the Elite Eight in 1970 and 71. And then the University of New Mexico had great basketball as well. And so the, the atmosphere for collegiate athletics in that regard was so exciting, and I got enveloped into it. Plus, Herb Wimberly, who was the head golf professional, head golf coach at New Mexico State, was kind of the... He's, he's, he's kind of one of those guys that really doesn't exist anymore, that, that is that golf professional, that is the head coach, owns his own golf shop, owns the cards, so, you know, has an operation, but he's also running an elite golf team. 
and they were at the time. They were very good. So I got to grow up around really good players. And my mentor or one of my models was Herb Wimberly. And he was involved with the Golf Coach Association of America. Uh, he ended up being president of the section. I ended up being president of GCAA. And I just, you know, I just always thought that I, I wanted to dress like him. I wanted to talk like him. I wanted to walk like him. I wanted to be a college golfer. And that's, that's really how I got started. It's amazing because I mean, we talk about growing the game in today's world. It starts at the club pro, the local club pro. And like you said, it was a completely different job. You know, my dad was same club 45 years, and I'm still talking to guys in their 50s and 60s that talk about the influence my dad had on in uh, just their junior golf. He said, you know, we, we couldn't play until we knew the rules. Your dad would make us each week learn a new rule, and he would try to trick us and do all those things to make sure we knew it and the etiquette and the way you dressed, the way you kind of presented yourself. And and uh, it, it's true. And, and in those days, I'm not saying they're gone, but they're just those people, they don't exist like they did. And it was a precious time in our life. I know that. But you end up going to New Mexico and playing there. You had some pretty good teams. You had Kurt Byram. Uh, and you had some pretty good teams, as you said. What a great golf course uh, New Mexico has there. Right. My, my freshman year at New Mexico, my my roommate was uh, Kurt Byram, and my roommate on the road was Tommy Armin the Third. Oh boy! So you can imagine we had some adventures. <laughs> we had some adventures, but TA uh, three is a, is an exciting personality, and it hasn't changed. You know, I'm 62 years old. I think he's 62 years old, going on 18 or 19 right now. So <laughs> I love that guy. He's yeah. got the spirit. But anyway, um, yeah, the exciting thing for me was being on a really good golf team right away. Kurt Byron's one of the most competitive guys I've ever been around, and his brother is the same. Mm -hmm. And it, they're, they're, not only that, they were tough coming out of Oneida, South Dakota, uh, dealing with weather, dealing with all kinds of different things, growing up. Uh, but he was also an elite athlete who played basketball and football. He was a way better player than I ever was. But he he was kind of set the bar for us in terms terms of work ethic and that sort of thing. I was really lucky to be around those two brothers because I have two brothers like that on my team now, mm -hmm. and that's uh, Park, Parker and Pearson Cootie. Yeah, that's for sure. And you had a pretty doggone good intramural basketball team. Uh, one of my friends from Indiana, Billy Lester, and we won't get into those stories either, but uh, he came here to play basketball. He was a pretty good golfer as well. But you see, even today's game, and we talk about – those were great, great athletes then, but we talk about all these guys that are currently playing now that are athletes, uh, and it's changed. I don't know how much your team worked out, but we didn't do any of that stuff compared to what you're doing now. But they're they're great athletes even back then, like you mentioned, uh, and it's it's. No, we, we, that, that's correct. We we kind of did that on our own. Mm -hmm. But but I would tell you this: if Kurt Byram or Tommy Armand the third had today's equipment, they would both hit it three hundred and thirty yards oh, yeah. minimum. Yeah. They both they both compressed the golf ball. They both had speed. They both had desire, and they both hit it straight. And that today's equipment would have only enhanced that. You find the right shaft, you find the right head, the right amount of loft you know, with a driver these days, and the sky's the limit if you've got a productive golf swing. So those guys were unbelievable for me to be around for three or four years, and um, and then to see what they've done in the game afterwards has been remarkable. Absolutely. You go on and play the European tour, played a little bit there, and then you become an assistant pro. You mentioned became a Class A 
Uh, but then New Mexico calls. When did you really start thinking about getting into coaching, or did you ever think you'd get into coaching? I never. I was, I was heading in the way of being a, a golf professional. Okay. Um, like you said, I played the European Tour in 1983, and my wife was my caddy. Pearl was my caddy, and and unbelievable, we're still together 42 years <laughs> later. But but the bottom line, because that was tough. Yeah. But uh, but but I would say that. I, I did things properly. I, I took a step-by-step process. I did become an assistant golf professional. I went, joined the PGA of America, became a Class A PGA uh, member. And right about the time that that happened, Dwayne Knight, my coach at New Mexico, left to be the head coach at UNLV. So that was the moment when, when I heard that he was leaving. I just thought, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and give it a try to be that that coach. And and again, it reverts back to my mentor, which was Herb Wimberly. So the truth is, I never really thought about it until that moment when he left. And then I thought, maybe this might be the thing for my family and I. And, and lo and behold, it has been. Didn't you, your fifth year, maybe help out like a volunteer assistant or assistant there uh, right after you were fi- trying to finish up and get your degree? Did I read that correctly? I did. Yeah, I did. And I, I did that for a reason. I was trying to graduate. I was on the uh, definite five-year plan to graduate. <laughs> I wasn't on the four-year track. Um, my, my golf in college and my uh, education in college were uh, not nearly as good as they should have been. But, uh, but, uh, but I did have a uh, – the, probably the best thing that happened to me in college was running into Pearl. And uh, Kurt Ballum introduced me to Pearl. So um, pretty amazing, pretty amazing. But uh, – I did do that, and and I learned a little bit, not knowing that one day that might actually help me. Yeah, because you spent 10 years at New Mexico, had some great teams, made it to the NCAAs. I think you guys were six. And like you said, you had Tim Heron, you had Doug LaBelle, Brigman. You know, we were talking before we came on, you know, we're seeing a lot of the northern teams now playing so well. And and you mentioned Kurt and Tom coming from uh, Oneida there, and you got Tim Heron coming down south. I mean, when you recruited there at New Mexico – you had sometimes you got some of these guys because I think from Kurt told me his cousin went to school there somehow. He didn't plan on going there. He was open Oklahoma State and all that. But you 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 brought some northern guys in there and and you mentioned the guys that have some grit. Uh, what was it like? You know those first few years coaching, being the head coach there at New Mexico. Well, I think I think what you have to do is you've got to have some sort of mentality attached to your team, mm-hmm. or you've got to create some sort of environment where these guys can grow. For me, um, and, and you can look at it from a football perspective, look at what Oregon has done by creating an identity with their uniforms. Right. So if you can create some sort of identity with your team, you're far and away better off uh, than you would be if you were just kind of recruiting haphazard and that sort of thing. So the blessing for me to have a guy like Kurt Byram as my teammate was the realization that these northern guys had grown up either on great golf courses like Tim Heron did in Minneapolis mm-hmm. or Doug LaBelle did in Michigan or grew up with with a lot of challenges like the Byrons did. They, I think they grew up on a <clears throat> nine-hole golf course and, and actually even played on golf courses that had oil-based greens. They sure did. And that goes way back. Yeah. yeah. So, the, so the bottom line is they were – used to overcoming challenges and i can remember kurt being out there at 
anywhere between 32 and 45 degrees with a short sleeve shirt on and practicing when other guys are thinking, I ain't doing this. Mm. And he was out there. Tom Byron was out there. And what that secured in my mind was is that these, these guys really do have the mentality to be great. There's no reason for them to be great. They come from Oneida, South Dakota. But there's every reason for them to be great because they have desire and energy and God-given ability and all those things. And sure enough, they were. You know, I usually ask this question later on in the podcast, but since we got there, what separates that elite athlete from just the rest? That kind of mentality right there? Yeah, and if I knew what it was, I would sell it. Um, <laughs> exactly. You know, uh, yeah, I would say this. Uh, there are guys that, that kind of dig it out of the dirt, like uh, Tom Kite mm-hmm. or Tom Byron, for that matter. Mm-hmm. And then there's guys that are blessed with unbelievable ability, like uh, Fred Couples or Ben Crenshaw, that just kind of pop out of the womb, and they are great golfers. That's just what they're going to be. And what Coach Royal, our, our long-term football coach here, and he's passed away now, but he is the one that coined the term it. Like, that guy has it. it. And they would ask Coach, well, what is it? And he says, I don't know what it is, but he has it. And what I mean, what he meant by that was is that the mentality that that guy has, and it may have developed because of their family, their surroundings, whatever it is, they have it, and they believe. And they believe that they're going to be great. And if you ask me about a guy like Jordan Steve, I would say that he has delusional confidence. I would say that mm-hmm. it's beyond extraordinary. It's way beyond extraordinary. Tom Kite has it, and Crenshaw has it. And what does that mean? That means that this guy believes that he pretty much can do anything. Mm-hmm. That when he takes off his, you know, that he can win a, a British Open or a, a U.S. Open or a PGA or whatever. And it's funny because when Jordan got out there, I thought that he might win fairly quickly, and he did. Mm -hmm. And then I really did believe that he might win a a major championship, and he did. And then when he won the U.S. Open and he won, uh, or when he won the Masters and then he won the U.S. Open, I don't think it occurred to anybody except Jordan Speed that he might actually be able to win the Grand Slam, and he almost did. And I don't know why that exists, Jim, but I, I love looking for it. And uh, there are kids out there that have it. Yeah, and you mentioned that because you take the job at Texas in 1997. Talk about Jordan. Now, he I don't think it came easy to him because he worked so hard at it, but he had so much success young, and then he hit the wall, and he struggled. But the thing that I admired about him is just what you said. He never gave up in the belief. No, he got frustrated with himself. That's just human nature. But to see him come back to get back to a really good level, that had to be satisfying for you as a coach and a friend watching him do that. Uh, because a lot of people might, I don't say they would have given up, but it would have gotten to him a lot more than it did him, but he kept that positive attitude. You had to be pretty proud to watch that moment, those moments coming up the last uh, year or so. I do, and and you know there's a lot of people out there uh, that, that you can access that have been through the same thing. I mean, right up to Jack Nicklaus, mm-hmm. who's had very difficult times and, and, and then come back and been successful. Uh, there's multiple... And I know Jordan access talking to different players during that time. Tiger's one of them. Mm-hmm. You probably had some really down moments in this game. If you're going to play this game, 
the number one asset you have to have is resilience because it is going to dish up a serving of humble pie somewhere in your career yep. that some people will go south and others will go north. Yeah, I had Bruce Litsky, who to me was, I mean, he showed me so many things and he always, you know, he was 10 years older than I was. He always included me. We played every practice round together. He didn't play much, obviously there when he was in his forties, but I think just me being around him, he taught me how to be a man, how to be a good husband, how to be a good father, but still play at a competitive level and be able to do all those at the same time. Jack Nicholas was able to do that. Uh, and I always admired him. And you're right. I mean, I could go to him and ask him questions. And he he included me with the Curtis Stranges and, and the guys you mentioned, those top players. I never – I was – I guess I was a little intimidated early on, but he included me in there. So I felt a lot more comfortable around that. And I think that's a, a big thing. And you can't be afraid to ask questions. Uh, and you can't be afraid to, to ask the best. I mean, go in there. And that's what I always tell a young person. Go out there and play practice rounds with these top players. Watch how they prepare. Because uh, it's a different way, and, and, and you find out, you know. And when you get down, you've got to have that support system. And I think it's – I did. I went through some times like that. And, you know, I three-putted the last hole of Tucson, and I didn't sleep. I lose the tournament to Mickelson. I didn't sleep for weeks, and my wife finally just grabbed me. It's player's week. It's been a month and a half. She goes, are you going to do this the rest of the year, or are you going to get over it? And it's like, you know, and you know that with coaching. You can't always tell them what they want to hear. You just have to tell them the truth, don't you think? Absolutely, and it sounds like you've got a coach at home. Oh, too. i got a great so. coach at home, yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm like Everybody you. needs a coach. Everybody yeah. needs a coach. And, and uh, I, I would say this, it, it, it gets back to exactly what you just said. If, if you don't ask, you don't get. Right. And I, I do exactly the same thing. In fact, we had a meeting last week, and I we talked about practice rounds. And once you get out on tour and who you ought to be playing your practice rounds with and who you shouldn't play your practice rounds with, and the ability to go up to a to a somebody with tremendous experience and tremendous success, and and absolutely understand that they're willing to share if you ask. And but you got to be a good person. You got to be a good guy. And they're mm-hmm. not going to help you if you're not. Exactly. But they will if you are those things, and they will help you. So I love that about the sport of golf. It, it uh, you don't have to look too far to know that those tour players are willing to share because they're right in the same boat with you and they've all been through those difficult times. I think that's what's cool watching Tiger at this level because he was trying to beat your brains out to no end, uh, and that's why he was the best. And But Jack Nicklaus was the same way with me. I would I, I get paired with him, and I was just in awe. But all I did is ask him questions the whole way around. He couldn't even concentrate on his own game for me bugging him about you know, <laughs> trying to get those things, and, and I just had so many great moments like that. But you mentioned you know, Texas has a great tradition, so many great players. How much do you and can you rely on some of your former players coming in, and how big is that to help some of your current players? Well, every weekend is really a blessing for our, for Pearl and I, and it, it really is because our guys are having a lot of success out on tour. Georgia, ourselves, and Oklahoma State, mm-hmm. uh, and Arizona State, for that matter, have a lot of guys out there, and, and so it's fun for us to watch those guys. There's synergy connected to that because our guys are young enough now out on tour that they are still really connected to the golf program. But there's also synergy connected to a guy like Tom Kite or Ben Crenshaw. Tom talked to our team early this year, and 
he had so many remarkable little nuggets for our guys. But that's a different mentality. That guy, like I said earlier, dug it out of the dirt. He was so strong mentally. Always has been, always will be. I think that came from his dad, and it served him well out on tour. And then we've had Jordan talk to the team, and he's talked about overcoming those, uh, oh gosh, what did he, the, the term that he used was is that he had a lot of scar tissue mm-hmm. over the last couple of years that he's had to fight through that. Never had that scar tissue. But it, rem- it reminds me of, of Johnny Miller saying one time that from junior golf to high school golf to college golf and then the first 10 years of his career, he had no scar tissue. Right. He just got better every year. And then all of a sudden he hit the wall. And how do you overcome that? And the only way to overcome that is to talk about it and go visit with people that have had it. And you don't have to look too far to get on the PGA Tour because every guy out there has dealt with those type of issues. Yeah, it's so well said because we're seeing it a lot. Uh, you know, Matt Wolf went through that a little bit uh, last year. It just it's it's the game. Uh, we didn't really have that kind of ability, I guess, when I was playing. You, you either had your wife there. Or I did go see Dr. Coop, who was a sports psychologist, to kind of help me with some stuff, and he did. He helped me a lot. He worked with Crenshaw. He worked with Payne. Uh, Corey Pavin, you know, he on and on. Lee Jansen, he's great players. And I'm thinking if they can go see a guy like that to try to get better, why wouldn't I? Because we all talk about it's mental. Uh, the majority of the time, the skills are there. It's just the belief. You don't lose your skills when you go in those slumps. You, you lose the, the belief in your skills. And I think that's the thing. And you talk about it, it's healthy. Uh, it's 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 the best thing to do because if you keep it inside, it just keeps building and building. But how do you deal with the pressure of, like you just said, the Big 12, so many great teams, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, Texas Tech now. How do you keep up with, you know, not too many expectations from your guys and keep the pressure off, but still go out there and recruiting against these great schools? Well, the, um, the cool thing about college golf right now is it has continued to grow. And we have the NCAA championship and the golf channel now Mm -hmm. to thank for that. When we made the switch, Mike Holder at Oklahoma State was at the helm when we made the switch from metal play to match play. When he did that, he didn't necessarily help his team, but what he did do was really help college golf to gain traction and momentum. And so right now, the, the, the great thing about college golf is the exposure. The most difficult thing about college golf is the exposure mm. because there's no place to hide. If you're at the NCAA championship, I mean, last year was a really tough moment for our team. I mean, over the last 10 years, we have won the national championship. We've been in the finals twice. We've been in the match play like seven times. And, Last year we finished 25th Mm. and it was like, it was like a slap in the face or a uppercut to your chin. It was really difficult. I'm just now getting over that. And I know our team is as well because I have a really, really good team. But to be able to deal with those things, again, we're talking about golf and you Mm -hmm. never know what it's going to serve up. And are you going to be resilient? Are you going to be the guy that gets up off the ground and and come back? And and I think that's what our team's going to do. I'm excited about it. I'm excited what the Golf Channel has done. Uh, your crew, the guys that present us on a on a weekly basis now. I mean, there's college golf tournaments on TV, and there's one great one this week. And 
today and this afternoon, the Stevens Cup. And um, we're looking forward to being on TV in January and then also in April, January out in California, Pepperdise Tournament. And, and then in April, uh, we'll be playing uh, at Pasa Tiempo on TV in the Western. And then we've got a chance again to be on TV if we make it to the finals of the NCAA Championship. So exciting stuff with college golf. Yeah, I didn't realize Mike Holder was behind it because you're right because there were teams like his team that were so good in middle play and sometimes match play winner doesn't always create the guy that played the best in, or the team that played the best in, in middle, but it's it's grown the game and we're seeing it. Like you said, I'm covering it this week in the studio. I was at Merido, uh, actually got to do the live golf that week and got to see you and, and y'all lost a heartbreaker to Oklahoma. But, you know, you mentioned getting back and coming back from things. What do you tell your team after a tough loss? You mentioned 25th last year. Uh, at the NCAA's Merido, you barely lose there. What do you tell them? Because I saw you have a little huddle, and I know you guys have the huddle afterwards. But do you, what do you tell your team after that? Because there's not so much time for them to kind of bring it all in and think about it. But what do you tell them in moments like that? Well, I was criticized for that a little bit, but the, the, the moment after Merido. But that really was a culmination of all the all the extraordinary things that happened last year with COVID and all the mm-hmm. buildup and all the – and all the frustration that, that we had as a team. And I, I voiced that frustration to the guys, but I allowed them to talk as well, and they, they were frustrated as well. It, it's just what we just talked about. You can suppress that and let that beat you twice. You can have that grow inside of you as a cancer. Or you can do the most important thing and just let it out. Let that emotion out. And that's what I did. That's what they did that moment. And... It may serve us well. I'm praying that it does at the end of the year. But I couldn't let that moment go by. Mm-mm. We lost by one shot to our rival, and that was painful. We had lost by two shots to Oklahoma State and one shot to Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship. And I have great players that can hit great shots at the right time. And they didn't do that in a couple situations. I'm not going to let them think any less of them any less of themselves at that moment so yeah i was angry and i was tough and they were angry and they were tough and that's okay yeah it was the right thing at the right time yeah it goes back to telling them the truth (laughs) don't tell them what they want to hear right i mean i i I just we of course you're watching it and i don't remember who said whatever and it's like hey Coaches do that. It's part of coaching. I mean, you can't sit there and sugarcoat it. It's not, you know, unicorns and all the candy and all that other stuff we talk about in the world. It's This is a moment. It's a teaching moment. And that's what makes you one of the better coaches, one of the best coaches in college golf is that moment right there. They were able to tell you how they, they felt. You told them how they you felt. And I think you grow from that. I, I think that's so important. And it, it's, it's a moment that you don't get those moments very often, do you, those teaching moments. No, that's right. And, and, and let me tell you one thing, because, and I know you would know this, but I absolutely love my players. Mm. I just kind of fall in love with them when they come play for me. And they know that. And so if you really love somebody, you either tell them the truth or you let them go away because that cancer will build. Yeah. I've seen it happen. And I always talk about this is old school, but why are we fighting the Vietnam War? We don't even know why we're here. Mm-hmm. So you let one thing build up after another, after another, after another, and pretty soon you're a dysfunctional golf team that can't play dead. Right. 
I don't do that. I'm going to try really hard to make sure that everything is laid out on the table right when it needs to be laid out on the table. And then if I say something that I'm apologetic for later on, then I'm going to apologize to my guys. I love them. Mm. I want them to be great. I want them to be out on the PGA Tour. I want them to have a living out there. And so I'm not going to get in their way. And But I am going to try to push them to their most excellent level. No, I love that attitude uh, because we do have a lot of our, – unfortunately, our society has created a little bit of a soft society. And it's the teams that in sports you kind of sort of try to get away from that. There was always the mentality everybody gets a trophy, and I don't think that's healthy. Uh, and you're going to lose. It's life. You're going to have downs, ups and downs. Uh, but what are you looking for? We're going to go into recruiting. What are you looking for in a player when you're out there recruiting? Uh, Dick McGuire, who was the head coach uh, at New Mexico for 30 years, he was uh, Dwayne Knight's predecessor, mm-hmm. and then I followed Dwayne Knight. But he always said, I look for winners. Yeah. I look for guys that have won the state high school, the state junior, the you know, any, any kind of AJGA championship, any, just guys that have won that it starts with that because you got to get over that hump. And then I look for different things with regards to their ability. Some people ask me, well, are you only looking for length now because of the modern game? <clears throat> if I could find a Corey Pavin right now, Take him. I would put him on my team mm-hmm. because that guy's a bulldog with his mentality. And he always was. I think you may have even played with him. Oh, he was my partner at the Ryder Cup. Yeah. Exactly. I, I, I thought about that picture with mm-hmm. you guys standing there. And I, I I remember that's the kind of guy you want in a foxhole with you. Yeah. That's the guy. So I'm, I'm looking for a guy that's a winner. I'm looking for that mentality. I'm looking for it. And, and I also think that from time to time uh, we can take – it's kind of like a balance. If I have three, four, or five really strong players, I can go out and get one or two guys that I think is going to be good. And if they're around those guys every day and they live that mentality and they work like those guys work, uh, and then they talk like those guys talk, and they, they not that they become that guy, mm-hmm. but that they actually learn how to become great players. Stephen Cervoni was that guy for us at the blessings three years ago, he was a guy that came in on a really small scholarship. His parents footed the bill and we love him for it. Uh, but he built over four years and then that guy makes a 20 foot downhill putt to tie Zach Bauschel from Oklahoma state on the 18th hole in front of everybody. Mm. And then goes to the, and then goes to the, uh, uh, playoff hole and, and wins. And, and we advanced to play the national championship against Stanford. But that guy was one of those guys that we could build and have him become something sensational. And now he's trying to make it as a professional. And I think he's got a shot. Yeah, don't be afraid of the moment. I mean, Chris Hack told me that. I want players who aren't afraid of the moment, that want to win. I think that's yeah. why you all are, you, your programs are all that, that way. But I got kind of a two-part question. I'll let you go because I know you're busy. But the first one is how do you – how would you describe yourself as a coach? How would you describe John Fields, the coach? How would you describe it? I'm a player's coach. There's no question about it. Like I said, I, I fall in love with my guys. And if, if anything, um, I, I may not be tough enough at times, but uh, I 
I really do care about my guys. I want them to be successful. I want them to have a wonderful life. I want them to have, I want to treat people good. I want them to do all those different things. The why of what I do, why I do what I do is because I didn't make it. I didn't, I, I gave it a shot. I'm glad I did. Um, I was around great people. And so my why and, and Coach Bear's why, he's the same as me. Mm-hmm. Neither one of us made it. A lot of these guys are better golfers than we were ever thought about being. And, and the long story short of it is that we want them to be successful. That's why I do what I do. I want them to get out there. And uh, that's me. That sounds like you. Okay. Now, the part of this one, it's similar to that. You say you, you, you love your players. You're a player's coach. Is that how you want you to them to describe you, or how would you want them to describe you as a coach and as a person? That's the trickiest one. No, this is this is actually pretty easy. I ask my guys when we're recruiting them to talk with our players because your players are either your best recruiters or they're not, one or the other. And I ask them to ask them one specific question. Did he do, during the recruiting process, is he doing what he said he would do. In other words, did he do what he said he was going to do? Simple. Because if he does what he says he's going to do, then he's a man of his word. And if he's not, you might not want to play for that guy. Just ask the players. And you're going to go visit three or four other colleges. I'm not negative recruiting. I'm just asking you to ask the question. And I feel good about the answer. That's what makes you one of the best in the game. John, I appreciate you being with us. Good luck. Proud of your team. It's been fun for me to get and I had daughters play for eight years, and to get to watch college golf, as you said, grow the way it's been growing on TV. I'm just fortunate to be part of the Golf Channel crew that gets to cover it in the studio and uh, wish the Longhorns nothing but success in the spring. Thanks, Jim. I really appreciate it. Hook them horns, and uh, thanks for your time. It's wonderful to have you out there. All right, buddy. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye.